0: Hello, friends. Josh Bo and Kirk Henderson coming to you once again. The Mavs Moneyball feed coming to you endlessly. Just an endless onslaught of Dallas Mavericks content from Mavs Moneyball. You're <laughs> joining us on what day is today? Monday? Yeah. Yes, it is Monday. Only Monday. Dallas Mavericks <laughs> just beat the Utah Jazz 124 to 111 for only their 10th road victory of the entire <laughs> season. And they did so, obviously, without Luka Doncic, obviously without Dorian Finney-Smith, who is now a net, and Spencer Dinwiddie in the same regard. And this was one of the weirder, more entertaining games that you're going to see all season. Um, it's it's just the perfect game for team confirmation bias. Um <laughs> It's funny because they play the Jazz, right? And the Jazz got off to a hot start because nobody took them seriously. Everyone thought the Jazz were going to be bad and were going to be tanking. And for a significant portion of the stretch or a season, they were in the top four in the West. Um, and then tonight against the Mavericks, they did not take the Mavericks seriously. They very clearly thought that they were going to come out and experience a cakewalk. They did not. And they ended up taking the L at home. Really, I mean, this is a big win for the Mavericks. They're twenty. They they bump back up to three games over five hundred. Um, this win guarantees them going into the All Star break with a, a. Well, I guess that would have. Yeah, with an above five hundred record. Um, had they lost tonight, they would have been just one game above five hundred. And they, you know, if they would have lost to the Clippers on Wednesday, it would have gone into the trade deadline at five hundred. But I mean, I just. I you know you didn't get to see the whole game. I watched most of the first half. Like this was just this was a real fun performance. I mean you, you want to lead like there's a lot of discussion to be had about Josh Green who who finished with a a Maverick season high and plus minus, a plus 39 in 37 minutes. He's really I mean it's not quite this simple, but he's basically the reason that they won the game.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean it was <clears throat> it was a pretty extraordinary effort. Um I mean, if you were to tell me, you know, not only the people that missed the game missed the game, but then Christian Wood and Tim Hardaway Jr., who are, you would presume are your two best offensive players remaining, yep. combined to shoot six of twenty-three from the floor, and the Mavericks still make fifteen threes and score one hundred twenty-four points in a road game, is outrageous. And of course, that happens because you're two, the two youngest players on the team with promise. Uh, yep. Score 29 points each, you know, combined to almost score 60 points. So
0: well, I want to talk about each of them individually because okay. and we'll just kind of focus on them because I I do. I don't really want, you know, I don't I don't want to talk about Tim Hardaway missing. You know, we should probably give Dwight Powell a little bit of love. Hilarious 16 rebounds, eight of them offensive. Yeah. Um but I really you know. I joked two games ago. So before the Warriors game, when I thought Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't going to play, I made a joke about how, you know, we need to be more excited about point Josh Green. And Josh Green only ended up with two assists tonight, but he initiated a ton. Um, the Mavericks did a lot of like, obviously, ball handling around the, the fringes. And so everybody got a chance to do it. But the way Josh played was really just taking advantage of situations that were put in front of him, you know, just making the right read, the simple read and executing. And what I'm curious about, I actually sent a message to our friend Bobby Carella about this a couple of games ago where it's like, at what point does the scouting report on Josh? <laughs> because they're not like <clears throat> they're not guarding him on drives. They're also not guarding him on shots like they're I'm going to go to who is the guy you uh, he's a center. Number twenty for the Jazz, Yudoka Azabuki. I feel like he played at Kansas. Um, big, fat, stiff. Like he had a belly. He was embarrassing, and he just didn't guard Green on a pair of corner threes. Green missed the first one badly. Hit the second one. I mean, I uh, that guy. That guy needs to. Oh, he was awful. Like that's the kind of performance. If I'm watching him as the I want his ass shipped out. Um, I was. I was just really impressed with Josh. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're right. Um, teams need to update their scatter reports. I think you tweeted that. I mean, teams are still guarding him like Tony Allen on the Grizzlies in some way. Maybe not, you know, not that extreme, but, I mean, they're just giving him space. I mean, I don't want to – the Jazz defense is awful. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm really like before, this, yeah yes. just as bad as our defense. Or worse. It's worse. Um they have the twenty sixth worst worst defense in the league right now. The only teams below them are Portland, Houston, Detroit, and San Antonio. Three of those teams aren't NBA teams, like trying to win NBA games. Mm-hmm. So, Jazz are still trying. Yeah, Jazz are still trying, and they're twenty six. Um, so again, that's not to that's not to mitigate the the accomplishment. It's just like a thing that's like, hey, this is this is part. You know, this contributed to to what happened, and you know. There were times where green and even Hardy, like it's just one dribble and it was layup or it was one dribble and then wide open corner three. Uh, The Mavericks had uh, 13 corner three pointers tonight, which is a pretty, pretty good number. And again, corner threes I think are a direct result of, you know, dribble penetration and the defense, you know, bad defense. Cause if you're a good defense, you're trying to limit corner threes. You're trying to limit rim attempts uh and the Mavericks were 13 of 18 at the rim not a crazy high number but 72% at the rim so they scored when they got there and then when they didn't score they passed it out for uh, a corner three and they were 8 um 8 of 13 on corner threes so uh i mean the J- it was it was it was a combination of one of the most entertaining performances i've seen from a Mavericks team in, in some time It was fantastic that the guys that did it are the guys that are going to be hopefully building blocks uh, for kind of the next push of Mavericks basketball under Luka Doncic. But like I also just can't emphasize enough that that was like an embarrassingly shameless performance by the Jazz. Got home with two nights. They had two nights off coming into this game. You're right. You know they. they I've saw, seen
0: we've seen Maverick performances like that. That's what was killing yeah. me. Where it's like you could tell that Laurie Markin, in particular, who had two really weird oh, yeah. charge calls. He thought he was, was going to score forty mm-hmm. on like ten shots. Mm-hmm. Like he
1: thought he was going to have a, a shoot around tonight.
0: Yeah, uh, I, so. I. I was but, really.
1: But again, like you said, even if if that's how they're like Green can't dictate how teams are guarding him. So he took right. at some point yeah.
0: he's at some point he's going to get respected a little bit more. And, and I just want to take a second to talk about why I think he'll be OK once the scouting report changes. At a certain point, people aren't going to let him get a full head of steam at the basket. That's happened on repeat. It happens in transition where teams just don't pick him up. And I think that's because the scouting report on the Mavericks is they don't push. Luca doesn't push different deal Kyrie irving actually pushes a little bit so i'm gonna be interested to see how green and and irving play together um the the second thing is the shot where he is clearly not getting like he shoots he's shooting like 41 i mean it's not a ton of volume but he's shooting like above like slightly above 40 from three and if he's only getting these corner looks you gotta stop that it's the same shit that dorian was getting in um you know the late like the late first half of Lucas rookie year where all of a sudden Dorian went from shooting 30 to 38 percent on on looks just because he's getting these chances. Mm -hmm. And Green's obviously a much more dynamic player off the dribble, but it it just it feels like teams have had gotten decided to sort of, okay, we're going to put one of our worst defenders on Josh Green and worry about everyone else. I mean, he and, was being guarded by Kelly Olenek in the fourth quarter. Uh, like, yep. like yep. not yep. a switch. Like, that's what the Jazz did. It was Right, and that has to stop at some point. And if that stops at some point before the Mavericks hopefully make the playoffs, then what we're going to be looking at is a much more difficult-to-guard Mavericks team. You know, there's like a cascade effect where if you can't put a bad defense, like if you can't hide a defender the way the Mavericks hide Luca on people sometimes, it just makes your team harder to deal with all the way around. So it's you know, it, it, this is a game where I, I think people should celebrate and be very oh, excited. F- super, yeah. yeah. This because- you know, this is I get pissy at some of these games where it's like, oh, Josh Green scored. He scored eight points. Did you see the? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, they were. Like, the 29-point stuff, is the, like, like that's is something to get really thrilled about because that's the things we've seen some of the guys that he was drafted around do. Obviously, right. he's not going to get a chance to do this night in and night out because it's a volume issue. 17 shots for Green has to be a career high for him. If he's able to ever average 10 field goals a game, I think the Mavericks are going to be in an interesting place. I really, really do.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and again, like, it wasn't like... Tim and Powell had the Like it's literally the two guys that you're like, okay, these like these are the only two guys on the roster that played tonight that we can imagine still being on the roster when Luca is 28 years old. You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so like that's that's huge. That's good. You know, it's just good to see see those things. Um, and with Green, I, I just want to emphasize like this is a guy that hasn't played that much basketball like not only just because of his youth but i you know i don't know when he took up the game uh but you know like uh our guy ricky uh ricky o'donnell at sp nation he was like i saw this guy play in high school and he was like, like he couldn't like he had no off like he just had no offense like, he no. couldn't
0: dribble he couldn't i mean drive. he was shooting 40 percent at the rim at at university of arizona
1: yeah and it, Rim finishing doesn't improve. That's and the like. And what's crazy is he went from that to basically two pandemic seasons mm-hmm. under Rick Carlisle where he didn't mm-hmm.
0: play. Very and he good. Didn't get,
1: and he didn't get Summer League and he mm-hmm. didn't get a real offseason. I mean, he, he never got, got Summer League. Camps. No. And and it's that's like,
0: one of the things I think the Mavericks did the most, did him the most dirty by is they did not put him in situations where he would be challenged. So I, I really, I don't lie. Like, it's like where mindless. did the develop?
1: yeah like where did the develop like the development comes from from being on the floor and then you know off season and, and training camp and stuff like that and it's like he basically didn't have an off season for you know because of the pandemic like you know summer of twenty 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 twenty, like he literally couldn't you know no one could really leave the house like it's not like it's not <laughs> like he got to go to the gym and was still playing five on five you know like mm-hmm. He had his development stunted in a way that, that can be really harmful for young guys. Yep. And we see and Hardy is kind of the same way because I think his high school season got cut off. Uh because I think his high school season was wet in the was 2020, I think. So his senior season. So uh mm-hmm. it's just it just it makes it all the more impressive that he's done this and it's I, I don't know, like I you ask anyone, even the most optimistic of of Mavs fans or even media members after they watched him that rookie year and said like, Hey, do you think this is going to be a guy that can score 29 points in a road win? And and no one would have said yes. I mean, no one would have said yes. So he has gotten to a point where he has kind of set the bar for, like he, like he said, he has set the bar for himself to where if teams are going to guard him like this, he can punish them. The next step will be, of course, teams adjusting. Then he has to, you know, He'll have to he'll have to grow even a bit more to make it past that adjustment whenever teams kind of recognize uh just how much uh, skill he's developed in the last two years. So we'll see. But man, it was really it was really fun. I mean, and again, you know, it helps to play the Utah Jazz. You know, they're gonna play the Clippers sure. on Wednesday and you might not score that many points. And that doesn't mean we kill him and be like, oh I told you it's no. it's just it's just how the it's being a young player in the NBA, you know?
0: Yep. The funny part is, so I'm looking at the box score again. I guess I didn't realize that, like, the so kid went with a kid went with McKinley right the fourth, who had 10 points, but was a negative 16 in 20 minutes right going into the game. What, like, and I understand why he went with right over Hardy because you wanted a true point guard on the floor. Hardy is not, Hardy is a guard at best. Um, I, I he's a scorer first, but when Hardy entered the game, was when a lot of things started to go right for the Mavericks. You know, he had a whopping team high nine free throws, made all nine of them. Um this was this was one of my more one of the games where I really enjoyed watching how he scored. You know, he he needs buckets to get going. Now the nine free throws don't indicate just how many times he was driving at the rim. You know, he got, he got his shot sent packing, I think three times, Um, which, which means that if I'm doing the math correctly for his eight of 12 shooting, you know, you back out those three kind of forced rim attempts. He was like nine, eight of nine from the floor, which is mighty dang impressive. I mean, I, I am not, it's, it's going to take a lot to sell me on Hardy over the long run. I'm just, you know, just me. Um, part of it is I I I don't want to hear the phrase Hardy Party screamed nine times at me on the broadcast anymore. It's just me. It's a small thing. But the second thing is it's just like smaller shooting guards. It makes me wonder what the ultimate upside is. Um, that said, when his shot was going and it was clearly going tonight, it was really fun to watch. He has a little bit of a low, like not low release. It's like a. It's not a high arcing shot. It's 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 not a straight straight on shot or anything like that either. But it's just you get kind of the feel very early in his release point if it's going to be a good if it's going to be a good look. And there was this this war crime of a um, pick and roll with Theo Pinson and Javale McGee, where <laughs> Theo passes it out to Reggie in the top it was top left top corner of my screen so so left side of the floor. And Hardy makes this – the The ball went in, so I'm, I'm, I swear I don't mean to – he makes this little like – he swings the ball back and forth the way my five-year-old does before he makes a jab step, and it's like – and then just steps back into a gorgeous corner three-point shot. And, I mean, it was well defended, and it just went in. And that's the kind of shot – the, the tough shots, like I think he is capable of making tough outside shots. He's just a little bit volume dependent, the same way Tim Hardaway is, to where if he's only getting four looks a game, I'm not sure what good that is. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, because, and especially with him, like the rim stuff is going to be, that's probably going to be his weak spot for a while. Until sure, he but he's relentlessly or- attacking, which I like right that for sure and like he is going to sink or swim the nba with his jumper like mm. i think there's no question about it so seeing a game where he goes four or six from three hit some really nice mid-range looks like he's gonna have to be a guy that hits mid-range jumper because of his kind of tweener athleticism where he's not like a slow poke obviously but he's also not big like he's he's thin and he's not necessarily a guy that's going to has blinding quickness so it's kind of like he's kind of had to have a little bit of a shifty in between game he needs to have a good floater game but again he just needs he needs to be able to hit jumpers and we've seen him play some games and he's gotten good looks and just not been able to to knock him down um and this was one of his more complete you know he scored 29 points so obviously it was his most complete game he's played in the nba but Uh, it was, I, I, it was really nice to see him make three, like he made four threes. That's a career high. And I think the kind of game he played tonight is gonna maybe be like a blueprint for what he needs to do going forward to be a regular contributor in the NBA until he can solve the problem at the rim, which might require more development might require, you know, transforming his body more. I don't know what it's going to require, but until that moment happens. He's going to be a jump shooter mostly, and that's okay because he's got a really good handle, be- and he can get that separation. He can dribble, yeah.
0: So, yeah, I, I don't. The, the blueprint for this team going forward, because <laughs> let's like make no mistake, they are extraordinarily small. Um, yep. With the players who you want to see on the floor, you have Kyrie who's six three, Hardy who's six three. I cannot wait to see these two standing next to each other because. I have a bunch of people that tell me that Jaden Hardy is 6'4, which makes me wonder if I'm if I have no idea how tall I am. because um, <laughs> I've stood next to him uh in, in summer league. And that's you know, it's just a jokey thing where it's just like, and then you know, because Kyrie's six two, six three. Lucas a stout six seven, um, depending on what shoes he has on. Powell is six eleven and he does a short wingspan. And then you know, Reggie's maybe six five, Tim Hardaway's maybe six five. Maxie's six um,
1: nine when he comes back. He's not yeah, Maxie's big yeah, guy. yeah. You
0: know, Maxie's a good, I, I forget about Maxie, which I shouldn't. Um, but the the guys that we want to see play, Josh Green six five, the guys that we want to see play are not on the upper end of like that six four to six nine-ish, like do everything wingspan, like the Toronto Raptors are able to throw out. So mm-hmm. If they're gonna do this, and it seems to be, I'm gonna be very interested to see what kid tries um if they're gonna do this, I think they have to play faster. I don't think you can get away with this thirtieth pace in the league bullshit that Luca wants to do is that Is that an overreaction to this game? No, I don't think so, I mean you
1: gotta you gotta you gotta play to your strengths, and if you're gonna play green more, like one of his strengths is he's good in transition, so. Mm-hmm you're limiting his effectiveness if you're going to walk the ball up the floor every single time. And, you know, Bullock has turned his shot around, you know, get in transition so you can get him more. Like how many corner threes has he gotten lately that I feel like, are feel like he's been really good at the transition corner three, uh, the last like four weeks. So Mm -hmm. that's stuff that's going to help him. And obviously, you know, helps Hardy as well. Like the decision-making is, the decision making for younger players is so much harder in the half court than than on the like, on the break. You're not thinking as much. You're you're kind of reacting more. Um, and the half court, you know, there, there's just way you know teams can scheme in on you. It's it's way more difficult for younger players. Like the transition game is just
0: yep. it's just easier
1: for these guys because it's a little bit more freeing and it's a little bit less pressure and there's easier situations that you can create uh, mismatches and advantages in the transition. So. Yeah, for sure, and you know, you talked about like their size, like and and Dorian was like the only big wing on the roster. Like Bullock's a wing, but he's he's a little bit smaller. Like you know, they they just don't have a lot of six, seven, six, eight wings. Like they don't sure. have to be right now. You know, yeah. So, I mean and that yeah, so that you know have to
0: play a different way a little bit. So so here's a take I got to run by you. That That is not my take on the green room. Friend of the show Tyler Adams popped in, and he. Tyler goes to a lot of Mavs stuff, talks to a lot of Mavs people, and every now and again will, you know, drop a tidbit of something he's heard and yada yada. But he came on the green room and basically said, just out of pure conjecture, and he was like, I wonder if Spencer is the bad vibes guy. He's a, and he brought up the podcast that Spencer did and some of the post game interviews where Spencer was clearly bristling at the fact that, you know, people are claiming Luca needed more help. And, You mix all this stuff together, and you mix up how many times Spencer just wouldn't fucking pass the ball, uh, and you see how well the the ball moved tonight. I can't help but wonder if the Mavericks moved on from Spencer before it became a bigger deal. Is that uh, nuts? No, that's
1: not nuts because, I mean, dude, this just happened in Washington. Like, Mm.
0: like it... (laughs) It's, he became be, the guy he, i thought he, he like it, i'm almost wondering because when he first joined one of my initial takes was this right. dude's you called off. it like this dude is not the guy to have when things aren't going well because he gets frustrated
1: yeah and he's you know he's honest to a fault like like you said that washington that wizards lost those post game quotes like he wasn't necessarily like wrong but dude you don't say that after a team has beaten you the only two times you've played them this season and then kuzma gets to do the easy dunk and i'm sure guys in that locker room are like dude can you just shut the fuck up because his
0: answer his answer was like three minutes long of horse shit yeah i that was the maddest i've been on the podcast this year because it was like are you fucking kidding me just guard (laughs) someone and that's what was so interesting to watch tonight again it's the jazz so i'm probably overreacting like, he was such a negative defensive player. Yes. And how was, much does that yeah. – sorry, I was going to say, how much does that weigh when
1: you've got a guy who is such a negative defensive player that's so obvious that it shows up in, in film sessions that these guys do, and then he's the guy giving those quotes after
0: bad losses and yep. stuff. And it's like, that's a – that's a really bad combination of because you say what you want yeah. about Tim Hardaway. Tim Hardaway is also an awful defender who tries his ass off, right? So, yeah, you're right. That's so, just that's just that's one of the two kind of things I'm thinking. The second thing I'm thinking is Christian Wood, do you have your bags packed? Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> dude, are you ready to go? Yeah, uh, can we be done with the Christian Wood era? I don't know guys. how fair it is.
1: First no, game back from broken bench. thumb. I know, but that, yeah, that's that's the part.
0: That's the part that sucks. Like, and this is the win. Like he got caught most, on camera like four times.
1: This was the he's, most feel good win of the season. And he's, yeah, he's, he's Fucking big shit. Chris Stapps Porzingis energy from that shit. Or, he's, or six or seven foot uh, Monte Ellis energy. Ugh. remember remember that happened remember um one of the monte i can't remember if it was the first monte se- it was the second one because we kind of run out of it we kind of been tired of his bullshit remember toward the end of the season you know they had already locked up their their playoff seating or whatever they were going to be in the second monte season uh-huh. uh and they played all their young guys And remember monte like famously did not like being held out of games like he played all the time and he refused to would come out like he didn't like coming out of games like even if they were winning like he wanted to always be on
0: the floor you want to play every game
1: and they sat him uh, in a game that didn't matter toward the end of the season. And the Mavs played like a lot of reserves and they were winning. Uh, and they, they, they won a game they weren't supposed to win against the team that I think was still maybe playing for something. And the TV just showed shots of Monte like sitting under the basket, like not from the team. I do like remember his arms this.
0: I do uh, remember yeah. that. <laughs> and by it, the way, that was the last time, Mon- that was
1: Monte's last season in Dallas. So. I mean,
0: as of, as of this writing, I've, I've received no... <laughs> no direct messages from from Penn from Pensac Sports or whatever he, <laughs> whatever his agent is because like and you know I, I hope if he's not gone and I have to ride out the rest of the season with an awkward thing I don't care just so everybody's clear Christian Woods agent would send a copy paste DM to every single person. Remotely affiliated with Mavs fandom or media. We're talking 60 to 100 people. And there's a great, you can go back and look and see who got the text, who got the DM, (laughs) because certain people would always share the tweet or the the message verbatim. And it was really funny when multiple people would get it, where it's just like Josh Eberly, who is, you know, a big Matt, like a Mavs fan, but he's a national media ish guy, loves all the leagues. He got he did it like four times. Brad Townsend did it once or twice. We all got yeah. caught and it's just it's <laughs> fucking hilarious. So I hope I never have to hear it again.
1: I know. I'm going to peel back the curtain. I don't know if this is going to get I mean this isn't going to get us in trouble. No, nobody cares. This the, is like uh, the last
0: of a Mavs podcast. Well, unless I got
1: took, took uh, taken off the DM list, the last DM from Woods agent was January thirteenth and it was best player Luca has ever played with in Dallas.
0: God, that fear that <laughs>
1: infuriated me. Isn't that and now like he had there's two hilarious things about that obviously. One, it was sent January it's the last DM you sent since January thirteenth. So there hasn't been a lot for him to DM about lately. Mm. And now how hilariously outdated uh, is that tweet with the uh, Kyrie Irving trade. Like, not going to be able to use
0: that point anymore for your
1: contract negotiations, right, fella. I, uh, sorry about you.
0: Well, that's a great opportunity, I think, for us to pivot out and and maybe almost finish this up because we've potted a lot yeah. the last few days. Um, Can I make
1: one more point about Dinwiddie before we go? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if mm-hmm. we touched on it. You know, I think it wasn't just the off-court thing and other people online made this point, so I don't want to act like I'm making a profound, you know, yeah basketball point uh but like you noticed dinwiddie this season had really fallen in love with trying to be like luca light yeah especially in the minutes that luca you know when he was running the offense without luca like running that same switch heavy attacking scheme like the bum hunting stuff that we see luca's so good at and the mavericks had the worst offense in the league with luca off and spencer on um and it was really nice to see tonight like they didn't do that. And it's like, I wonder how much that Spencer, Spencer trying to like imitate Luca with the bench lineups, uh didn't play so well. Because with bench guys, again, especially bench guys, like those guys probably need to touch you need to share the ball with bench guys because everyone's so limited. Like this isn't breaking news. Like, if you've ever even played pickup basketball, you understand when you touch the ball, you feel a little bit more confident in yourself and, and on the basketball court. Uh, so when you're playing with a limited group of players on the floor with the bench, trying to be 30 usage rate Luka Doncic uh, with him on the bench is probably not the best uh, way to go about it. So I wonder if some of that uh, contributed to maybe some of the sneakiness as well. Uh, so we'll see going forward.
0: Maybe it did. Maybe it did. Well... um Oh, and you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm piling on Spencer because Spencer was pretty important to a lot. Oh, of yeah. People <laughs> yeah, this year. I, know. I just it, it's just one of those things where it's just like you see it and you're like, man, this. Sometimes your time runs out, and that's been like, that's been Mark Cuban's one of his biggest weaknesses as owner GM is he has not known when to let go. The past several years, it's been re- and so it's just like moving on from Spencer, despite Spencer providing mm-hmm. a ton of ton yes. of highs. Yes, yes, yes. It's important. So. Mm-hmm. It's so important anyway. That's how you do business. That's how contenders... yeah, that's how yeah. good teams are built. And so yeah. I know, mean, I'm very worried about this team's depth. I mean, I think that's okay to say out loud. I don't think anybody yeah. should be mad about that one. Um no. why did I did I just and I'm such a moron, I just think I republished something. Whatever. Um so so the last sort of thoughts before we get out of here. We had a preposterous day at Mads Moneyball <laughs> in terms of web traffic and stuff. You know, we're we we we're all pretty good about juicing the, the things which will get people to come to the site. But what we did yesterday is put up a lot of different posts. Xavier Santos wrote a column like within an hour of the trade. He didn't even like <laughs> read it. And yeah. so I didn't publish it till this morning, but it was called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which I thought was a really pretty thoughtful column for immediately after that. Our man, Brent Brooks, <clears throat> put together a piece, uh, you know, a, vi- a video piece, actually, of, like, you know, here's some stuff about Kyrie Irving, which I think was was really fun. Um, <clears throat> Brent also wrote a piece, which the comments of this piece are killing me. Like, they just – they make me mad. But it's it's called The Dallas Mavericks Take the Marshmallow Test After the Kyrie Irving Trade, and it, it uses um, – it uses this this 1972 test, uh, a marshmallow test that was conducted at Stanford University, as a as a uh, jumping off point to talk about how teams have to make choice. And it's like I like the column a lot. It talks mm-hmm. about like the Mavericks making a choice now versus having to make a choice later, and it's wouldn't you know it there's like a third of the comments being like this study has been since been disproved this is a ter-. and it's like dude it's a fucking sports call like sports ball column what do you it, i really like brent's column it's it's really thoughtful and fun um mm-hmm. and and good then you know you wrote a cannot believe you wrote this much um and, and on a sunday night like basically a 2500 word column called the, the dallas mavericks have crossed the point of no return of the kyrie irving trade that was truly spectacular. That and it it does the the you know, if you're just let me brag on you for a second, it does the everything. It, it's not one thing. It talks about Kyrie off the court, it talks about the Mavericks on the court, it talks about why this is frustrating for us to have to cover. It talks about why the Mavericks could be really good or really bad. It covers the whole spectrum of stuff in a Concise amount of—I I just said there's a lot of words, but it does not feel like that because the discussion around Kyrie, if we're just being perfectly clear, is fucking exhausting. And so you have to be exhaustive when you write a column like this, which you just did a really good job with.
1: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, I just felt like we needed—you know—I I was really worried writing it to be honest, because obviously I included the section uh, about his off-the-court stuff. That's and that's just been.
0: Well, most most people, and and so it it you know just to pivot to another piece that was about that right, exactly as our, guy, as our guy David Trink wrote a specific column what it now means to be a Jewish Dallas Mavericks fan courtesy of Kyrie Irving and he wrote very eloquently and he's a young man he's mm-hmm. younger you know I'm not going to tell you his age but I promise you he's younger so for him to write this and kind of put this out there was important and most of the messages we've gotten about it particularly from from jewish fans were really like it was meaningful that he wrote this because it's put people in an awkward position and some of the messages that we've received about this which have just cracked me the fuck up where it's like did you go this hard when they hired woman (laughs) you know the domestic abuser jason Kidd, and when and when mark cuban got got you know the sexual harassment scandal did you guys go this hard at that and it's like yeah motherfucker we did if there's something to bitch about when it comes to the Dallas Mavericks, Mavs Moneyball is going to do it. <laughs> That's the one guarantee we can offer. And I think we covered this whole story with what we know right now before Kyrie's played any basketball. I think we've covered it to the point to where I feel good about where we are because we don't have control of team personnel. We are not going to constantly reference what Kyrie Irving has done off the off the floor because it's it's done now if Kyrie continues to do the same dumb shit he has done in every fucking stop for seven years, we're going to cover that too. Okay. I just want everybody to understand this. We are equal opportunity assholes at the Mavs Moneyball website. (laughs) The fact (laughs) is we sit, we, we say how we feel. We have a very diverse staff of opinions and a people, and I'm going to publish all of those things because a uniformity of thought is boring. You know, we, we had all sorts of different thoughts on Kyrie where some people just think it's gonna be an absolute disaster, but I'm not there yet. I'm mostly there, but I'm I'm willing to be open minded because I, I'm very interested in them. I I think it was like Ryan Rossillo had probably my favorite take on this. Where he's yeah. like he's like, Well, Kyrie and Luca are gonna go out there and score 40 points apiece, and everybody's gonna be talking about how this is you know so amazing and are they the greatest backcourt ever? And then two days later, Kyrie Irving's gonna say something insane it's like yeah probably (laughs) yeah probably probably. yeah
1: it's uh for me what it comes down to is again i don't want to read you know the off the court stuff is always it's just always going to bug me i'm going to think about it all the time and i'm going to think about it like you know what david wrote and that and the community of jewish fans and and like it's not fair that they have to be conflicted when watching a basketball team like the basketball is supposed to be the escape right so like Mm -hmm for that to come up in their in the forefront for them when they deal with it in their lives 24 7 like david is
0: he's jewish he can't just be not you know what i mean like he can't just I mean, not be who he is anymore i had a, I had a friend of mine he, but he's a jewish basketball fan you told a story to uh-huh. me today about how when he was in grade school his peers found out that he was jewish and a vegetarian and they held him down and forced him to eat pork oh, god as a kid OK, so some of the shit that I'm it's just like I, you never know what people go through. Right. So like some of like the just unbelievably racist shit that I've had sent to me over the last few days of people who just don't seem to understand that they're being racist drives me crazy. It's right. not something we're going to talk about all the time. It probably hopefully will not be something we bring up again. That would be ideal. OK, but yeah. I, we have you cannot ignore this stuff. Right and and what
1: i and so like what the crazy thing about the trade is like it's just kind of like you talk about like how they give it a, we, we're gonna see how it goes it's not a disaster technically it's not a disaster yet we gotta see what happens and it's like that part's always gonna bug me but there is a part of me that's just like i mean i've been wanting roster turnover i'm really pissed off that they had to get this guy of all the guys to turn it over with but i'm also like man like i'm we've been wanting new players like we want to cycle things out like it's just you know this season and where the mavericks are in the standings like there were there was a point in time before this trade like we talked about in slack we weren't really advocating for the mavericks to tank but we were just like what are they doing like what's the purpose like these wins and like you know the wins don't feel impressive the losses feel really gross like there just was a a stagnation that shouldn't exist when you've got a 23 year old super prodigy star and it's like like i'm watching guys i've seen on this team since 2016 and they're really nice guys but like we're, we're, they're 500 they're almost 500 with this superstar mvp and it's like where are they going they don't have any you know they don't have any young studs uh, you know that that you know that you can reliably bet ban- you know it was just bad like the team was in a really bad funk um The last couple of days. And again, I I wish it wasn't someone with the the baggage of Kyrie, but there's another part of my brain that's like, man, thank God that there's just like a shakeup. Thank God that they're, they're shuffling the roster around. They're bringing in new players and you know, still got another couple of days for the trade deadline. So that's the part that like the glass hat full that, that I'm going to kind of be looking at for the rest of the season.
0: Well, we've had a ton of podcasts the last like ninety six hours. It's basically one. It's basically like one and a half a day. Um, I mentioned this the other day. I would still appreciate it if people went and gave it a listen. Um, all all the different shows, the speculative stuff, because you know it's fun. It helps us. We're we're uh, we work hard. Um, but we also do it mainly because we love this in spite of how much it might seem like the fact that we hate basketball. Sometimes (laughs) we, we like covering this team. We like doing this together. So um, thank you so much for hanging out with us for a very long time on a random Monday night podcast. Uh, Be looking for the Spotify live that will go up shortly. Everybody Mm -hmm. have a great night and we will talk to you after the Clippers game on Wednesday. Bye guys.